from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, we're back for another season of Jersey Jump Shot. College basketball is just around the corner. Hard to believe with obviously everything we've gone through this year. We hopefully do have some games to talk about coming up. Another big year in college basketball in the state of New Jersey. And for that, we have our trio of college basketball experts back to join us. Of course, we have Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Guys, uh, it seems improbable, but welcome back to the show. College basketball is around the corner. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Uh, a lot of things that, unfortunately, we don't want to talk about, but will have a huge impact on the season. And, of course, that is the COVID-19 pandemic. No fans, uh, obviously, to start the season. Uh, Jerry, we'll begin with you. I mean, we have a lot of thoughts on this. But, I mean, the big question everyone's asking is, will we even make it through a full season? I normally, uh, at this time of year, my the blood is pumping through my veins, right? I'm all fired up on my toes, getting ready for that opening tip. And now it's like, Excitement has given way to, you know, to to nervousness, I think, and and really confusion about like, are they are they even going to be able to play a season? And what I, what I would say is this. I think there's going to be a season and I think there will be an NCAA tournament. I have no idea what it's going to look like and no idea how we're going to get there. Uh, and, and there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. It's so it's we're 48 hours from opening day. And Rutgers has a game against Sacred Heart that they haven't announced a time. They haven't announced a TV partner. They haven't announced the game. I mean, that's a symbolic of this entire season. Everything seems up in the air right now, Rye. So, so I think there will be a season, but there's going to be a lot of scratches. And, like, there, there's 26, 25, 26 games scheduled. If you get half of those games in, you'll have to consider it a success. And it's just crazy to think something like that right now. Well, it's crazy when they're talking about, hey, we got to get 13 games in. You know, that's that's like the benchmark right now. And I think these next few weeks are going to be so important to see how this spikes around the country after the Thanksgiving, heading into Christmas. Then I think we're going to have a really good idea of whether we can really get a season in. And it's going to be tough if states are shutting down, people are not allowed to do anything, and you got college basketball teams jetting all over the country. It's not going to be a good look. And if teams are getting sick, I think you're going to have a problem. I think for starters, the, co the college basketball, the NCAA made a mistake. In, they, in late August, early September, they announced that they were going to start a season, uh, have non-conference games. I think in, in retrospect, that might have been a mistake. Like at that time, the pandemic was at a lower ebb. But now it, it's spiking. And really the safe thing to do would be just to play within your conference where everybody has the same testing rules and – for example, you know, you have like a St. Peter's is playing St. John's on, on Wednesday. St. Peter's has had like eight practices. Shaheen Holloway didn't see his players in the end of September. He didn't start practicing until October 22nd. St. John's has been together since July. Like how can you play these games? So I think the, the, the non-conference, it might have been a mistake and it might have been better off to bat down the hatches, play your conference schedule, and then just ha you'll have as much lead time as possible for games that had to be rescheduled and canceled. Now they're trying to jam more stuff in, and in retrospect, it looks like a mistake. Everybody has to go into this season expecting anything to happen at any point. I mean, look at what's happened in college football the last few months. I mean, games are getting postponed left and right. You know, we have to go into this knowing that this is going to be a season unlike any other. You try and get as many games in as possible. I don't think that there's an easy solution. I mean, the Big Ten tried to, you know— 
do uh, daily testing, hoping that that would fix a lot of issues. But several teams have. I don't think that there's an easy way to avoid it. I think you just have to go into it knowing that it's going to be a weird season. You try and get as many games in as you can and see where you are at the end. And, and Chris, too, you mentioned it, it covering Rutgers football like you have been this fall. You, we've seen what this has done to the football season. Now we're talking basketball with two or three games a week. It, it's a totally different animal. Absolutely. It's going to be very difficult, I think, for a lot of teams, especially in places of the country, as Steve said, where the virus is spiking. It's not going to be easy to get through, but you just have to take, you know, these teams are going to have to take as many precautions as possible and see what they can get done. Again, it's just going to be a season unlike any other, and they just have to do everything they can to get through it. It's interesting, you know, Rick Pitino, I heard, wanted to start the season later, and I don't necessarily agree with that because I think you have to start as early as possible to give yourself as much leeway as possible. And, and Jerry, I don't know if you agree with that, but obviously I'm, with the Big Ten, going back to it, they don't have any bye weeks. Wisconsin had an outbreak and missed two games. And now they're at their minimum level of games for the Big Ten championship game. So, again, it's not an e- a straight comparison, but it just goes to show you how difficult this can be. Yes, I, th- I, I agree, Chris. I think they, the starting the season in, in on Thanksgiving weekend makes sense. Uh, you, you, you do need as much time as possible. Uh, what I'll say is a couple of things that are variables that are kind of messing everything up right now. One is that some campuses are open and some are closed. And you know, that hurts when the campus is open. That might be good for a school's bottom line financially, but that makes it harder to play sports. It just creates an, at- an atmosphere where the virus is going to be more contagious. You know, where these when these campuses are empty, it's just a lot easier to isolate the players and keep them out of harm's way and, you know, gatherings that are inevitable on a college campus. So the idea between start by starting on Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving, most of these campuses are clearing out. Most of the campuses are going to remain closed through Martin Luther King Day. There's a two-month window there where campuses are going to be empty, acting like a de facto bubble. That's one thing that possibly could could help get this going and why you need to do it now. The other thing is you different conferences and different programs are taking different approaches to positive COVID tests. So like Seton Hall had, had multiple positive tests of their players. They went into a two-week shutdown. That's recommended by the CDC, recommended also by the NCA. It's a guideline that the Big East is following. Now, other schools like Florida just had positive tests. They're doing a one-week shutdown. Baylor's coach just tested positive over the weekend. They're doing no shutdown. He's staying home. Their schedule, and they're going to be with an interim coach. They're supposed to come to Seton all next week. So there's a lot of lack of uniformity that's going to create headaches, too. Another reason why conference only was probably the best approach. Too late to put that genie in the bottle. Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. And locally, too, I mean, it's already impacting, of course, the New Jersey college basketball landscape. Uh, no Princeton League uh, calling off their season. Uh, a little bit ominous, I think, when we all saw that news, because, of course, the Ivy League were the first ones to cancel their conference tournament and cancel the rest of the season all the way back in March when this thing really started to blow up. So uh, no Princeton this year locally. And then, of course, uh, another big college basketball tradition here in the Garden State. Seton Hall, that game, of course, uh, up in the air. Uh, what's the latest on that status? Well, let's take these two things one at a time. First of all, I think the Ivy League made a mistake. Now, I understand why you know they they don't want to play right now. Obvious for obvious reasons, it's hard for them to restart the machinery as the pandemic spiking. I get that they've been shut down. They didn't have fall sports, so I wasn't expecting them to roll out the balls for basketball for November 25th. However, the Ivy League is allowing spring sports to proceed starting in March. Now, they're doing that partially because spring sports missed their entire season last year. But they are allowing spring sports to proceed starting in March. They're also allowing the teams, the basketball teams, et cetera, to practice, to to have gatherings and, and, and do workouts. So to me, I don't know why the Ivy League canceled the entire season. What they should have done was said, 
and I think everyone would have signed on for this because eligibility is not an issue right now. Everyone's going to have extra eligibility anyway. What the Ivy League should have done is said, listen, we're going to have a, a two-week tournament in March, a round robin to, you know, to send our best team to the NCAA tournament. And that's something that everyone could have looked forward to and geared toward. I don't know why they're allowing their, their you know, the track athletes and their and the softball and baseball and lacrosse to play in March, but not basketball. To me, that was short-sighted, and it really was unfortunate. It's unfortunate for the athletes that they get to miss out. They miss out an entire season. That's what this is supposed to be about. It's bad for their mental health. It's a shame for them that they get to they have to miss their season while everyone else is trying to, to move forward. So that's a bad look. You mentioned the Rutgers Seton Hall game. They've played every year for going back to 1994. Uh, it's been a tremendous rivalry. Now, the original date got bumped because of all the juggling. The Big East moves its schedule up. Uh, so they lost the original date, December 13th, and they can't get it together to find a new date so far. They say they're going to try later. I have my doubts, and it really is a crying shame that they're not. It, they don't have that that is a shame. That, and honestly, realistically, I blame Seton Hall for that. They could have they booked that game on December 6th. There's no reason to be playing Penn State on that game. If you cared about the rivalry, you'd be playing Rutgers that day. If you care about money... You're playing Penn State that day, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, so Seton Hall, you know, they I understand the, the decision they made was they they didn't want to burn a turn in the in the series on a playing it was their turn at home. They didn't want to burn a home turn with no fans and no revenue. You're talking like six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars of revenue for the sellout that Rutgers brings at the Prudential Center. So I understand that, but a simple communication, I think, could have you know, with Rutgers, I think it, it's just simply if they just expressed that concern or if Rutgers had inquired about it. Um, they could have, you know, easily played the game on a neutral site this year, or just said, you know what, we'll come and play you at your site with no fans. We'll consider it a neutral game, and then we'll resume the rivalry proper with a regular home game at, in Newark next year. I think that easily could have been done. I think Rutgers would have done it, agreed to do it if they just would have talked about it. So it was just poor communication. Ultimately, it falls on Seton Hall. They gave that date away to Penn State. But it's poor communication, and really, they should have done better. And who loses out on this? The players who really want to play the game, they love it. And the fans in New Jersey lose out on it. And if they can't get their act together, I mean, it's really it's a disgrace if the game doesn't get played. And if this impacts future games, because there's bad blood now. There's bad blood between the sides that this didn't get worked out and the communication was poor. Then there's just really a disgrace that, you know, what a disservice to everybody that you can't play this game. Come on now. And of course, I mean, we're just kind of scratching the surface of all of the news, unfortunately, that COVID will uh, affect on the college basketball season this year. Um, but here in the state of New Jersey, moving away from that and stuff happening on the court, uh, another great year for us to be excited about here in the Garden State. Uh, first and foremost, we have the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. We've been talking about them, of course. But uh, Jerry, it looks like they will be starting the season in the top 25. Is that how you voted? Yeah, well, think about this. All, all of this, this, we're talking about all these problems, and yet the New Jersey teams are terrific. This might be the best year, the best season for New Jersey basketball ever across the board. And it's just a shame. And Rutgers, of all things, I mean, Rutgers finally gets into the top 25. I had them ranked 19th. They came out 24th, which I believe was low. I think the Rutgers brand is still in the minds of a lot of voters, like a, a team that hasn't done anything in forever. But, you know, when you look at it, they're going to be good. They're a top 25 team in the preseason for the first time since 1978, okay? And they have a team that, you know, could make a Final Four run. And you, you might not have a season. or Who knows what's going to happen? And they have no fans. And it just it kind of stinks for them. The Rutgers is good. The questions for Rutgers are, look, they went 18-1 and one at home last year. They were almost unbeatable at home. 
The rack is one of the great home court advantages in the country. It's so loud in there. And now they're not going to have any fans. So like, what kind of effect is that going to have uh, on the team? That's a question that's really impossible to answer. And they're going to be piping in fake crowd noise, by the way, which I hate. I hate that. <laughs> I think that makes Rutgers one of the most intriguing teams in the country. Seriously, from that, from a team that was unbeatable at home and couldn't do anything on the road, now going to have to play in front of an empty arena. I mean, we're going to find out something about Rutgers now. Yeah, I think my, my gut instinct tells me this team is more mature. These guys have played a lot of games now. There's enough experience here that they can they – don't, I don't think they need that as much. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're really not going to know until the big boys start coming to town in a month, three weeks for the Big Ten games. That's a real issue. But on paper, Rutgers, the question isn't will they make the NCAA tournament. It's, they should absolutely make the NCAA tournament. The question is how far can they go in the NCAA tournament? And, you know, it's, it presumably could be very exciting. they got to play some games first. Right now they have three non-conference games scheduled. I mean, that's a big hindrance. And this team, too, it's a nice balance. I think we mentioned a lot uh, last season how maybe they were a year early uh, with some of the young guys they had on the team. Uh, you had those guys back, plus a nice mix of young guys coming in to help this program out. Uh, Chris, what are some players maybe we should be paying attention to this season? Yeah, I mean, I think the returning core, guys like you know Geo Baker, Ron Harper Jr., um, I think that these are all guys that you know I'm really interested in seeing. And then obviously you look at the freshman Cliff Omarui, um, and, and Jerry has written a lot about him, and I'm interested to see what he can do for this team. I think he's going to make an immediate impact. Uh, so this is going to be a really nice team of, of veterans and some young players coming back. It's going to be a nice mix. Um, and I, I think the, the experience that they all got last year is going to serve them really well this year. As Jerry said, without fans, I think that they'll be able to kind of uh, power through that a little bit more more capably than they would have last year. So um, I'm really interested to see what this team has coming back, especially with this young core. I saw them work out uh, you know, last week, and uh, you, I, I trust my eyes. This is the best team Rutgers has had by far. They're way ahead of where they were even last year at this time, and that's a team that won 20 games. So one through eight, the top eight players, Rutgers is as good as anybody, I think. And Cliff Omarui, I don't think he'll start at first, but he's going to make a major impact defensively on the boards, shot blocking, and I think just interior post presence, major impact. So there's no question in my mind that Rutgers is is loaded and ready for ready to go. The question is, can they get some games in? Can they be tested at a conference at all? Uh, can they can they you know what can they do without fans? I mean, these are all things that right now we just can't answer. And uh, Sacred Heart and Fairleigh Dickinson coming up for Rutgers. We'll talk more about Fairleigh Dickinson, by the way. Um, but let's just go around the panel here, uh, talk about these two upcoming games, and as well as the season outlook for the Scarlet Knights. What are we seeing from them this year? Uh, are we talking Sweet 16, possibly, or even beyond that, Jerry? Well, when you're ranked you know, 24th in the preseason top 25, it means you're supposed to advance in the NCAA tournament. And the goal for Rutgers, I think, is to get you know, is to get a, a number four, a number five seed, somewhere in that range, top four or five seeds. Now, it might not matter that much what you seeded this year in terms of location because it seems like the NCAA tournament's going to be held entirely in a bubble, probably in Indianapolis. So it's not like they're going to have a regional preference by finishing high up in the in the seedings. Um, I also don't know how Rutgers' seed is going to be impacted by the fact that they have only three non-conference games right now, one against a decent Syracuse team, but really no high-powered non-conference games. And who knows how that'll end up? Is that going to be held against them? I don't know. Could they add some games? Probably. Who will those games be? I don't know. So, yes, Rutgers, the goal is to advance in the NCAA tournament for sure. I think this is a team that 
I picked them to finish fifth in the Big Ten. That's where the, the writers panel picked them. So you would expect this to be a big year and to be hearing from them in March. Uh Chris, uh, Steve, what, what do you think your outlooks are for the Scarlet Knights? Yeah, I agree with Jerry. I think that it, it's reasonable to expect them to make an NCAA tournament run. I like them going to the Sweet 16. Um, I, I think that they have the ability. I think they have the experience now that they're going to need to make a, a, a nice run. Um, and I agree. I think they can be a, a four or five seed. So I think it's going to be a big year for them. Um, but, you know, it's there's so much uncertainty hovering over everything that it's it's difficult to know exactly and to predict exactly where they're going to be when this is all ends up. I agree. I mean, the, the, the biggest opponent this year is COVID. If Rutgers can stay safe, you know, as with every team, I think Sweet 16 is is really, really likely and very possible. Honestly, if they could get to a regional final, you know, Peichel's coach for life. I mean, this it, it would be the greatest <laughs> Greatest thing ever for this program, you know. You know, the other thing too is that even some of a thirty-year contract. (laughs) (laughs) The thing too is that some of them, you know, Rutgers has its own situation, but there's so much riding on its opponents and what they experience this year. So it's it's everything impacts everything else. You know, it's like, I mean, some of the best teams in the Big Ten, they could have their own issues that all of a sudden prop Rutgers up and pushes them higher and and puts them in a better situation. So there's just so much uncertainty like i said going into this that it, it's difficult to know where everything's going to be when we are do, when we're all I, said and done i do believe it helps Rutgers that the campus is empty and that they're testing daily i do believe those are advantages for Rutgers that maybe other schools don't have and now let's talk about seton hall as well uh they're projecting to be you know a contender certainly in the big east going into this season the big question of course is how do you replace a guy like miles powell who by the way was signed by the knicks uh is this a rebuild or a reload for the pirates this year jerry definitely a reload uh and look you don't replace miles powell it's impossible he's an all-time program great but seton hall did themselves a huge favor by bringing in a big-time point guard bryce aiken randolph native all Ivy League player at Harvard. Really, really good player, ready to, I think, everyone's fascinated to see what he can do at this level, you know, competing against these 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 high majors day in, day out. The feeling is he's an all, if he's healthy, because he does have knee issues, he's had a history of injury, he, he wasn't cleared for practice until very recently, right before Seton Hall went into its shutdown. So, like, there's a, there's a lot of rust there. He hasn't played a game since in a year. There's a lot of rust there, uh, and there's questions about his durability. However, if he's healthy, he's an all-Big East caliber player. Sandro Mamuklashvili, six foot eleven forward. I said his name right. <laughs> he is an all. He is a first-team all-Big East preseason selection. And Jared Roden, who's a glue guy, tough, rugged, he's a potential all-Big East player. So Seton Hall has. The talent, I think, to have not that big of a drop-off. They'll be different without Miles Powell. They'll run more of a balanced offense, and it'll be interesting to see who gets the ball in crunch time. I think Seton Hall is still an NCAA tournament team. They were they finished 15th in the AP rankings last year. They're unranked this year. I think they're probably in the 30s right now. But the, to me, there's an NCAA tournament nucleus here for sure. You know, it's funny because there are few teams in the country that lost out more last year when the season was canceled because you look at the potential that that Seton Hall team had for March Madness. You know, I mean, they were ready to go, and that was really unfortunate. You know, uh, having seen Takal Molson a little bit in the the MAC, I mean, I hope he can be a useful— 
piece for them. I know he he sure looked like a really good player. Yeah, he fits in well with what they want to do too, Steve. I mean, he's he's that like tough defensive, you know, attack type of guy. Uh, I think they see a little bit of Quincy McKnight in him, who was an up transfer from the uh, from the from the Northeast Conference. Um, so I think they've had a lot of success with these types of guys and Molson with the year off, especially. So the feeling is he'll be a major contributor. And, and Jerry, I know a lot of fans are, are going to be asking you this as well, but I mentioned in the, uh, the lead up there, Miles Powell signed with the Knicks as an undrafted free agent. Uh, just your thoughts on that and how he projects as a potential pro, obviously a little bit of a uphill climb as an undrafted free agent, but certainly a nice player for the Knicks to have. Chris should probably answer this, but I'll, I'll give you my two second take on it. And that is, Awesome college player. The scouts are concerned about his height. Does he have a position? He's only 6'2", probably really only six feet. Does he have a position? Can he handle like a point guard? So like there's a big just gap there. It doesn't automatically translate. So I think he, there's a reason, you know, to me, he's a guy that deserves to be drafted. He's a good, you know, he's, he's a scorer. He's a bucket getter. Uh, he has instincts that you can't teach. But I understand why he wasn't. I think the measurables are low, which is why, He's a free agent, and it's hard for free agents to make a roster. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's going to be an opportunity for him to go to training camp, you know, learn from Thibodeau, um, and and kind of prove what he can do. It right now, the Knicks actually have 16 contracts; they have to get down to 15 before the season starts. So already, they have more contracts that they can take into the regular season. So I do think it's going to be difficult for him to make the team. But again, it's an opportunity for him to go and show what he can do and, you know, prove that he can be an NBA player. So it's a great opportunity. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to watch him. Uh, yeah, I think he's a pro player for sure. And, and whether it's here in the NBA as maybe a backup, uh, bouncing around some teams or, or whether his future is in Europe, he's absolutely a pro player. So it's nice to certainly at least see him get a shot with the Knicks and potentially uh, lock on there. Um, back to the Pirates, though, uh, the upcoming schedule. We've already had, of course, one game canceled for Seton Hall, but uh, on the horizon, Louisville and Baylor. So uh, right into the, the fray for the Pirates. How do we see those games playing out? So there's, again, there's COVID issues hanging over this, right? So Seton Hall comes out of a two-week pause today, uh, Monday. I think the, the first practice they're aiming for on Tuesday, it sounds like. And uh, that gives them, like, really just two days to prep off a two-week layoff for a game at Louisville, which is going to be very hard. Uh, you know, not it's not all their players are coming out of COVID today. There's, there's some who have some, some time yet still in isolation, in quarantine. So... I don't know. It's a, it's a tall order. Now, Louisville is, look, it's a big name, but it's, it's I think, a kind of a rebuilding year for them. They suffered two major injuries to starter-type players. Um, they're kind of shorthanded. And so the allure with Seton Hall is you can go to Louisville and steal a win for your resume, which would look awesome. And I, it's on the game's on ESPN2 Friday at 4 o'clock, and it would be it'd be a great feather in their cap. So there's a, there's reasons for them to push to play this game. But I don't know, coming off the layoff with, with uh, the quarantine – and, you know, really only having a day or two to get this together with other players, their status still up in the air. I don't know. It's it's really impossible to predict. And, you know, you could argue whether they should pull in the oars and not go down there. And the second thing is with Baylor, uh, you know, should they be playing Baylor? Baylor has two games in Connecticut this week in Mohegan Sun. The first opponent, Arizona State, scratched from them. Basically, Arizona State's going to Mohegan Sun, but they're like, we won't play Baylor. Because who knows who else on that team has COVID? And by the way, we don't trust you. And they didn't say that out loud, but that's what they're thinking. We don't trust you to police your team because you had a coach test positive and you have no quarantine at all for any players. So 
you, do you want to play Baylor? I mean, that they're number two in the country. You have you get them at home, even though it's going to be empty. The Rock. It's a huge opportunity, but you know there are risks risks with this game. So Louisville going to Louisville off almost no practice and a layoff, having Baylor at home when their coach tests positive, like these games are fraught with with uh, issues, and they're great games if they can get played and there's no consequences. We'll see. We Steve, will. You have, see. A thought, you have a thought on this, right? On Baylor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it. Listen, if you have them to your place and then all of a sudden you're shut down for two weeks, you know, now what do you do? Now you're now you're getting into your conference schedule. Um, I th- I think teams have to proceed very very carefully here. Um, and and in every way, these non-conference games, these are like tech exhibition games. You're really just getting ready for your conference schedule. You know, that's I think that's the way you have to approach it. And I think that's the way a lot of teams are going to approach it. I don't know how much you're going to be able to really read into Seton Hall's game at Louisville if Bryce Aiken has like two practices under his belt. And if the team is coming off a of quarantine, I don't know. You're right, Steve. I don't know that you can take any conclusions from it other than someone's going to get a win and someone's going to get a loss. And that will be the, the 2020 story. I mean, just this entire season, one day at a time. And here we are. We, you know, record this show once a week. We might be having uh, to do some double duty based on breaking news throughout the season. But uh, we'll see. We'll see, of course. And Louisville and Baylor, two great games for the Pirates to start the season. So uh, I know we're all hopeful those get tipped off as well. And, and Rye, Seton Hall's never beaten a number one or number two team ever. So, like, Baylor comes into your place without their head coach. Because the head coach is not going to be there. They have, an, they have an interim head coach, an acting head coach, I think is the better way to put it. One of the assistants is going to be running the team on the sideline. You have a chance to knock off the number two team. I mean, that's an enormous opportunity, but it just feels like there's like a million things that have to happen between now and that game Sunday. It, it seems so far away as we sit here on Monday the, to talk about a game on Sunday with all that could happen, all that we've seen happening uh, throughout the world of sports. So I'm with you, Jerry. I, I certainly hope they they tip that one off because it is a great opportunity for Seton Hall early in the season to get a big historic win for that program. We have uh, some mid-majors as well in New Jersey to talk about this year. First and foremost, we mentioned them before, Fairleigh Dickinson. They're picked first in the Northeast Conference to start the season. Uh, Monmouth and St. Peter's tied for third in the MAC uh, Rider Rebuilding. NJIT has a new conference, and we mentioned Princeton, no season for them. Uh, so let's start with these mid-majors. Uh, what's your outlook uh, for, for some of these smaller schools around the Garden State? Really just building the the Garden State jersey uh, resume for college basketball this year because there's some really tough teams. I think it, it all comes down to COVID. And if you think it's tough for the high majors, it's incredibly tough for the mid-majors to stay safe. In Mammoth's conference, the, the MAC, at least seven teams of 11 have been in quarantine currently or or have been earlier. So it's a really tough deal. You know, these these programs don't have the wherewithal to do bubbles. You know, they're they're kind of going to be winging it and that's going to be really the key at the mid-major level. And if you're a high major, do you want to play a mid-major in a non-conference game? You know, that may have had these difficulties. You know, Rick Pitino's Iona team, you know, they already are in trouble and and they're in quarantine now had their uh, their opener canceled. Um, so it's going to be very tough. But yes, FDU, you, you know, comes off a, a good year and, and they're a really good team. And and uh, I, I think I think they could be one of the best stories in New Jersey this year for sure. Uh, Jaleel Jenkins, uh, FDU senior point guard, you know, he helped them get to an NCAA tournament and win a game in the NCAA tournament two years ago. He's the best player in the Northeast Conference. So when 
when your best player is the conference's best player and he's a point guard, the most important position in college basketball, you're off to a great start. So FDU is the clear favorite in the Northeast Conference, So which which is a nice storyline to follow. They've, they've been there twice to the dance, the big dance under Greg Haranda. And number three, if everything stays together, they're looking like they're tracking in that direction. And the MAC always so competitive as well. Where do we see Monmouth and St. Peter's playing out in that conference? Well, you know, listen, I, I think that St. Peter's is, is going to be very good. They were very good last year. You know, I, th- I think Monmouth is, is kind of on a, a same level with them. So I think that's going to be very interesting. What the MAC is doing is you play back-to-back games within 24 hours at the same site against the same team. That's their way to limit travel, limit exposure, you limit time in a hotel. And so that's what they're going to do. So um, Monmouth will open with two games at Iona. Yeah, for instance. Uh, so that's a very interesting scheduling model, and it really it, it it's basically the best they could do as a mid-major. I think the Northeast Conference is using the same model with FDU. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And I mentioned too, uh, uh, NJIT, Jerry. Just uh, to quickly touch on them, they're in a new conference, and we were saying before it, it's a good fit for them. Yeah, the the NJIT has been a nomad for a long time. They were an independent. They were in a Great West Conference, which made zero sense. But they had to get in a league. If you don't get in a league, you have no shot. Then they were in the Atlantic Sun for the last few years, Southeastern Conference. Again, an awkward fit. Now the America East is perfect for them. It's local. And what uh, what a good time it comes at, right? At a time where bus trips are at a premium. Now they can bus to a lot of their games. And it's also it's a conference of like-minded, you know, good academic schools. Um, NJITs, they'll be good. They'll be competitive in the conference. Zach Cook's a, a point guard is a star, and he, he'll he be one of the best guards in the league. So, you know, are they favored? No, they're not favored to win to win the America East, but they'll be. it's a better fit for them, and there's a lot to be excited about for them, too, this year. And a lot to be excited about around the entire state. Uh, this was a supersized episode one. Of course, we had a lot to get through, and we will be with you all season as long as, well, everything runs smoothly. Fingers crossed for that. Uh, we will be recording and posting our shows every Monday throughout the college basketball season, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, or iTunes, whichever you prefer. You'll get a notification every time our episodes drop. So be sure to follow us all season long. Quickly, as we wrap up, let's go around. Uh, Jerry, we'll begin with you. Some articles that uh, our listeners can look out for this coming week. So Tuesday morning online, I'll have Rutgers and Seton Hall previews. Three reasons to hope, three reasons to mope for each team. little feature and uh, my, my record prediction in games to watch. I'm going to be doing the same for Monmouth uh, this week, who opens at home against Hofstra, the CAA favorites, uh, who won the league last year. Uh, very good team. But again, who knows what to expect in any of these games. <laughs> and Chris, you're still on Rutgers uh, football duty, right? Exactly. we got about four more games left, so we're going to see if we can get through the rest of the season. We're almost there. We're just halfway through. Um, so... You know, I'll be, uh, you know, at all those games and then we'll uh, we'll get to basketball and it's certainly going to be an interesting season. Absolutely, it will be. And we'll be there for the entire season, as I said. Thank you so much for listening to season two, episode one of Jersey Jump Shot for Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, Chris Eisman. I'm Ryan Ross. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.